0: Welcome to We Built This Life. I'm your host, Jennifer Walker. I own a freelance writing small business, and this is the podcast that tells stories about small business owners and entrepreneurs and how they built their working lives from the ground up. This is episode 31 featuring Ashley Williams, who is the founder and CEO of Climb, a Baltimore-based company that provides emotional health software for school-aged children. Thank you so much for taking some time to listen today. Hello, Welcome to episode 31. I'm Jennifer Walker, and I'm really excited to have Ashley Williams on the show today. She is the CEO of Climb, as I mentioned in the intro, and uh, that is a company that provides emotional health software for school-aged children, so kindergarten to 12th graders. Climb is a Baltimore-based company, but Ashley and her team, she has about four team members about who work with her. They work with schools and organizations across the country. So Ashley will talk about this, but just for a little bit of background, Climb is an online platform that uses interactive assessments to create learning plans that are personalized for each child or young person who uses the platform. And the plans are created based on Cassell's five socio-emotional competencies. These competencies are self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, responsible decision making, and relationship skills. So the technology and the way the platform is designed is grabbing kids' attention through a means that is interesting to them. And as Ashley said from there, this is a quote from her, the platform then empowers them with coping skills that they can keep in their back pockets. So CLIMB is helping children learn emotional intelligence skills that they can use throughout childhood, but really into adulthood and on throughout their lives. So in this episode, Ashley, who is a former educator, will talk about how she got the idea for CLIMB and how she got the organization off the ground. She's going to talk about some challenges she faced and how she addressed them, some of her successes. We talked about what it's like being a manager. I mentioned she has a team and what her style is. She'll share her advice for other small business owners or entrepreneurs. We also, of course, talked a lot about emotional intelligence or emotional wellness, which I thought was really interesting. As a parent, this is something that I am always thinking about for myself, but I kind of left the conversation thinking, okay, what can I do to help my kids learn these skills? How can I model these skills within our home? So I thought that that was really interesting. A couple of terms you will hear in this episode, Ashley talks about SEL, that's social emotional learning, and also VC funding. This is venture capital funding that investors provide to startup companies and small businesses like Climb. I also want to mention in the beginning here, Kathy Brock, who works on K-12 partnerships with Climb. I worked on the silent auction as part of an event at my kid's school, and I met Kathy through that experience, and she suggested I have Ashley on on this show, which I thought was a great idea, and I'm, I'm just really thankful to Kathy for connecting us. Okay, let's get into this episode with Ashley Williams from Climb. An educator for some time, Ashley Williams has over a decade of experience working in emotional wellness, including a role in which she built a curriculum in this area for a K through eight school in Baltimore City. Her direct experiences in the education system ultimately led to her idea to build a technology platform that is focused on emotional health, which would be called Climb. My background is
1: directly correlated to Climb in that I'm a former educator, former school leader here in Baltimore City. Um, at some point, I became a director of climate and culture of a K-8 school, where I was responsible for the emotional health of the staff and the students. And in that capacity, I would write curriculums, social emotional learning and emotional wellness curriculums for both the staff and the students. And one particular year, I wrote a SEL curriculum for K-8 through students, and I got a lot of feedback from the educators about the implementation of it. So I looked at the market to see how were we implementing emotional wellness and mindfulness in the classroom, and I saw that there were problems across the board with, one, the ability to gather data around the efficacy of what we were doing, as well as the data of the SEL competency growth for the students. There was a question of the amount of time that it could take to implement something. You know, the school day is already packed. Where do we fit this in? And then a lot of teachers felt like, you know, I'm a math teacher, I'm not an SEL instructor, or this feels like one more thing to do. And I felt that the skill set was so important, it was worth figuring out a solution to those problems. And it was really that which compelled me to tinker, to begin to explore what it would look like.
0: That's interesting that you saw firsthand the value of an emotional wellness program, but that you had to figure out a way to sort of make it work. I just wanted to take a step back for a second. Could you talk a little bit about what emotional wellness is?
1: Yeah, emotional wellness for everybody is just the ability to identify your emotional experiences and to regulate those emotional experiences. And then from yourself to be able to identify the emotional experiences of others And to be able to empathize and to connect. And it sounds like a pretty easy skill, but it's not if you don't learn the skill. And the same way that you learn how to structure a sentence, you can learn how to regulate your emotions. And the ability to regulate your emotions is actually connected to so much more in a human life than we would think. One, it connects to your mental wellness and your mental health. There's a connection, too, to how much you earn over the course of a lifetime. Your ability to successfully climb in your career is connected to your emotional intelligence, as well as the relationships that you have, the quality, rather, of the relationships that you have. So in an education setting... Emotional intelligence and social emotional learning is connected to academic performance for young people, how they perform on their their assessments. There's a clear correlation that younger people with higher emotional intelligence score higher. They're also healthier. They have happier relationships with their peers, with their educators, with their parents. And then in terms of what a curriculum will look like or the particular curriculum that I wrote while I was in the school setting, it's an everyday activity, you know, maybe 20 minutes where we're teaching a specific skill and then giving them an opportunity to practice it. And so one of the techniques that we taught in that curriculum was mindfulness. So mindfulness is just the ability to pay attention to the present moment with total acceptance. It's under the umbrella of emotional wellness. It's one technique that you can use to increase your emotional intelligence.
0: That's really interesting. I I hadn't really thought about how important emotional intelligence is to so many other aspects of a person's life. So you were doing this in the school system. This was before the pandemic? Oh yeah, this was definitely before the pandemic. Okay, okay. And then you had the idea, when did the idea for CLIMB come into your head?
1: When I was working in the schools, I I mean, I didn't know that it was going to be CLIMB, but I thought that technology could be a solution to some of the problems that schools were experiencing at scale around these resources. So I resigned from my job to Tinker. I joined John Hopkins Social Innovation Lab and did a customer discovery process where essentially you just get in front of as many people in the space where you want to serve as possible and just ask questions and, and learn what you can about their experience. And then from there, I developed an MVP, Minimum Viable Product. I connected with somebody who could build out the technology for me. And then we got that tested. And at the time, we were not yet CLOM. We were working under the name of Infinite Focus Schools. And so we were testing that for a little bit. And we really didn't become CLOM until 2022. We were operating as Infinite Focus Schools for a few years. And over the course of that time, it was a journey, of course, of like learning how to found a startup as a former educator and then raising the capital in order to hire my team and to build out the product that eventually would scale.
0: I feel like a lot of people have ideas for different organizations like this, and I'm sure being a part of the Hopkins program really helped, but they don't know how to get it off the ground. Did it seem like sort of a simple process along the way? Did you hit roadblocks? What was it like for you?
1: I can definitely see how we can find it difficult to get it off the ground once we have the idea. And I put myself into spaces where I was around people who did that for a living. So in addition to John Hopkins Social Innovation Lab, I joined Innovation Works and Baltimore has a program with the Miller Center for Social Entrepreneurship that's based out in Silicon Valley, which put me in touch with a lot of mentors and advisors in the space. And I joined a few other accelerators as well, where I could learn what does it mean to run a tech startup? And so it took me, and this was over the course of years, a few years. So I was building my company as I was learning how to grow my company. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is that I needed to acquire a sizable amount of capital in order to develop my technology, as well as to hire a team. I needed to raise over a million dollars in VC funding. And Baltimore is an up and coming city. You know, like we are getting more and more VC dollars, more and more tech companies here. But when I started, it wasn't as prominent. And certainly, at the time, black women in tech, and still at this time, just don't receive that type of capital. I think when I first started, it was somewhere around like point, you know, four two percent of all black women received at least a million dollars in VC capital. So, I mean, we're talking about less than a hundred black women since the inception of our of our country. So that was a that was a hurdle that. I had to overcome, you know, changing hearts and minds and really just interrupting a pattern because that's what it is. It's just like this is a pattern that's been in operation here. But you know, I was able to do it, which was amazing. But it was definitely a journey. And it took me more time than it might have taken some other people. That's really powerful.
0: Well, I'd love to hear more about about how the technology actually works. Can you take us through maybe what a kid would see? Yeah. So when you go
1: to a doctor, you get a personalized treatment plan and because of its specificity to you, your chances of improvement are increased. So CLOM is approaching emotional health the way that a doctor approaches physical health. And what that means is that when a child logs into our software, we do a quick check-in on the state of their emotional health. Based off of the data that the software collects on the state of their emotional health, it then provides them with three resources that meets them exactly where they are. So it's diagnostic and it's prescriptive. All of the resources in our software were developed for young people. They're anywhere from 30 seconds to three minutes, so small nuggets that they can engage with. And then the software is actually aggregating that data to share with the stakeholder so you can see how Timothy is progressing, like what is his social emotional competency progress? How is Timothy's overall emotional experiences, his moods? And you can monitor that over time. So that's essentially how it is. We, we diagnose where they are, provide them a resource to increase their competency. And we suggest in the schools where we work that young people use it at least two times a week in order to start building those healthy neurological pathways in their brain.
0: I love the comparison to a doctor. You go in and you get a prescription and then you follow that and it can be the same way for emotional wellness. Can you maybe give an example using Timothy? It's a proprietary sort of
1: assessment. That was developed in house by some experts that we work with. So he logs in, we're checking five different competencies. These are scientific competencies or scientific framework for well being for children, SEL well being. He comes in, one of those competencies is measured through emojis, another one of the competencies are measured through like a sliding scale. And so this particular one is for older kids. The younger kids, are, we're just measuring one competency because it has to be developmentally appropriate. So basically we use animations and we use emojis and interesting questions to probe where they are in the moment that they sign in. And then we can provide them with the correct resource. Okay. That's interesting how it's
0: kind of a variety to kind of engage them, I guess. That's right. That's right. And then the activities that they would do, you mentioned mindfulness. So mindfulness is one type of activity that
1: is within the platform. We also have some stretch and movement where we're teaching them to connect their bodies and their breath to induce the relaxation response in the brain. We have what we call coping cues, developed by therapists, where small nuggets of information, like what do you do if you have racing thoughts? What do you do if your chest feels heavy? How to establish healthy boundaries? What are healthy boundaries? So some direct teaching in there. We have a sort of standard SEL curriculum in the platform as well, which is given to the young people in the format of like blog articles. So what is your superpower? How to share your gifts with other people? What do you do if you notice bullying? What do you do if you're the bully? We also have growth mindset statements in the platform as well. So that's just a few examples. We have different types of content because young people have different preferred learning modality. So every young person can find something in the platform that's interesting to them. How many schools and organizations do you work with? How many kids can access climb? So we work with a few dozen organizations across the United States, several thousand children. And every year, our goal is to expand, you know, to reach more, more kids.
0: I'm looking out for Baltimore City Public Schools.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would love to work with Baltimore City Public Schools. This is home. We work with a few schools in Baltimore, but never with the district. But we're having those conversations.
0: Yeah, that's great. You had said that Climb used to be called Infinite Schools. Is that right? Infinite Focus Schools. That's right. How has the organization evolved since it first started? And I know we're talking about a handful of years, but are there a lot of changes? Oh,
1: man, so many
0: changes. It goes beyond just the name because what you're doing
1: at as an early stage company is called finding product market fit. So by definition, it's an evolution. You're just constantly refining your product until your consumers say, this is exactly what we want. So that is sort of the evolution of the company. When we started with Infinite Focus Schools, of course, we were technology. There was the the resources were included where the kids could sort of, there was still sort of like that independent aspect where a young person could sign in and get their right resource. But the way that we deliver the resources have changed. The way that we measure the data has changed. The way that we provide it to school stakeholders has changed. And all of that has just come from gathering feedback from our users. The core of what we do has never changed. Our mission has never changed. Our why has never changed. But the way that we deliver our product certainly has evolved as the company has evolved.
0: So you talked about one of your big challenges, raising the $1 million in funding, and you did that. And now you, as a CEO, you're a manager, right? You have a team behind you. How is it being a manager and how did you adjust to that role and what is your style?
1: I don't see myself as a manager, although that is my, you know, that's my title as CEO. I see myself as helping people with really brilliant skills to share those brilliant skills in a team. And so I see myself really as a support person. I'm always asking my team like, "How can I support you? What do you need?" And I also think I do a really good job with keeping everybody flowing in the same direction, keeping the team in harmony. So I think I have more of a I think it's called a flat leadership style where I'm a listener and everybody on the team can bring their thoughts and their feedback, and I just truly believe that the way that we get this done is together, and I let my team know that What they contribute is invaluable, and we literally cannot do this with that piece, that magical piece that they bring. It's sort of an invitation to the team to bring their creativity and their insight and their unique gifts and skills to the team. So I really take the light in the role that I play in my company with my team. I have a really, really amazing team. I've been blessed beyond measure with the team that I have mission oriented, because this is mission work for us. And just all in, most of my team members that are not on the software development side are former educators, they just get it. And I think that was intentional. I was specifically looking for folks in the education space to join us, because they just have tenacity, they're constant learners, and they're interested in the space that we're in.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go back for a second, actually, because you said something that brought up another question in my mind. Do you think that the pandemic had an effect on the emotional wellness of kids and going through that and being home for so long? And do you think kids are still dealing with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The pandemic sort of helped us in that schools were very clear there's a need for resources like CLOM. There was conversation prior to the pandemic, of course, but the U.S. Surgeon General issued a warning about the mental and emotional health of Children in America post pandemic. So it impacted their mental health. There's greater anxiety. There's greater depression among young people. There's even a challenge around them connecting with their peers and that feeling of isolation. It's not as strong as it was during the pandemic, but we're not past it yet. And so, because of that, school systems recognize how important it is to teach these skills of resilience, essentially to children. So
0: post-pandemic, we were able to scale a lot quicker. That's interesting. I I had just wondered, my kids were very young during the pandemic, so I don't know that it's something they experienced as much, but middle and high schoolers, I thought, might have been hit a little harder.
1: Yeah, I have a 10-year-old during the pandemic. She was in second and third grade And even for her, it was difficult to not be around her peers, you know, to be sort of, and she's an only child. So to have that level of isolation was a challenge for her as well.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Did you want to talk about any other challenges that you faced? You mentioned the funding. Is there anything else that comes to mind?
1: I mean, you know, I think it's the human challenge of perseverance and having tenacity when things don't look the way that you want them to look in that moment. I learned a lot about perseverance and stick stick with itness during the process, I mean, and even now, during the early stage of building this company, what about your successes? What are you most proud of? I'm most proud that I didn't give up. I'm most proud of the work that we do. you know, like I have a really cool job helping young people and helping schools across the country and It's something that was inside of me and now it's out in the world. And that is really, really cool.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think not giving up is important too, because it's hard to stick with it sometimes. I think not giving up
1: is an underrated skill. I think if you stick at something long enough, it will come into fruition, whatever it is. Because as you're sticking with it, you're learning. And it's all of those things that you're learning that are refining you and refining the process. So you're just getting better and better and better and better. So I absolutely agree that perseverance is a really important skill in
0: business and in life in general. That's really powerful. I agree. What about as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, do you ever experience some of the imposter syndrome feelings, the doubt, the fear? And if so, how do you deal with those feelings when they come up? So I have, I experienced them less
1: now, but certainly when I started as a former teacher in tech, I'm like, which one of these is not like the other? (laughs) So definitely I experienced imposter syndrome, but in addition to sort of sharing these teachings of emotional wellness, I'm a, a big advocate and practitioner of them. So they have been incredibly helpful to me, especially mindfulness, especially meditation. And it's like through the practice of consistently sitting with myself, I have been able to, one, identify what I'm experiencing, the imposter syndrome, but also recognize where it comes from. And then that's where the healing was able to start, was able to flow. So I experience imposter syndrome a lot less, almost never now. But I, I know what it feels like to not believe or to have doubt in what you're doing. But just through practice and through consistently checking in with myself and integrity and honesty and also having my own self-care practices that I do not deviate from, like that is my work. It has really empowered me in accepting my placement, accepting the good that Climb has to offer and the good that I can offer by serving through Climb.
0: That's interesting, too, that you have drawn on some of the skills that you're trying to teach as far as emotional wellness. I don't think I would be having this conversation if I hadn't. So what about the schools and the organizations that you partner with to offer CLIMB? How do you find them and make those connections?
1: Well, we have a team of marketers and we have partnership success specialists. So we're reaching out to them. They're reaching out to us. And we just have these ongoing conversations. We do have specific states and areas where we target. And so we directly reach out to organizations and schools in the spaces that, you know, we've identified as being a place where we can be particularly helpful. And it's just a process. You know, there's like a whole sales process framework behind how we reach out to organizations. And there are people who within Climb are responsible for that.
0: How do you identify the states that you think you'll, you'll have the most success? Is it data-driven?
1: It's data-driven. So we identify uh, the states where, one, there's a demand based off of what's going on in the state, where they have the capital. That's really important in order to acquire CLOM. We look at specific demographics as well. So there's a number of different data points that we look at to identify what area makes the most sense for us to get started.
0: What advice would you have for other entrepreneurs who are thinking of starting an organization that's maybe similar to yours? I think it's really important to understand the sales cycle
1: and to understand who the buyers are and to have a really compelling story that the buyers will resonate with. And if you have that, you can sell your product. And that requires a lot of tinkering too. I mean, sometimes you hit it out of the park on the first swing, but a lot of times you're refining and iterating and testing and doing a lot of different sprints to figure out what resonates, you know, how can I help people? I mean, that's how we think about it at our company. Like we're not just selling a product. Every person that we communicate with, we have an opportunity to change lives. And the only way we do that is by effectively communicating who we are and what we do. And it's really important that you can effectively communicate your value props to the people that you want to serve.
0: That's interesting that you bring up finding your story and telling your story. I can see that that would take some tinkering. You're seeing what works, what hits. Absolutely. Where do you see Climb going in 10 years?
1: I see Climb literally wherever there is a child, there's Climb. And you know, if the child speaks Swahili, Climb is there communicating with them in Swahili. If the child speaks Spanish. CLAM is there communicating with them in Spanish, in every language in between. I think that emotional intelligence is a human issue and that a society, a healthy society, is just a group of people who are emotionally healthy. And again, that impacts every part of their lives. And we want to be a part of that, part of that change for our planet and a part of that change for our society. And so our goal is to get CLAM into the hands of as many children as we possibly can.
0: Yeah, I love that. So where can people find you? You're on Instagram, I know. I follow you there. Yeah, we're on Instagram at climb, C-L-Y-M-B
1: underscore U-P. So climb underscore up. And you can also check out our website. It's climb, that C-L-Y-M-B, up, U-P dot I-L. So you can find us online as well.
0: Thank you so much for your time, Ashley. Is there anything else you
1: want to say that maybe we didn't cover? What I would say to listeners is if you haven't already done so, Find a practice that you can do every day to elevate and improve your emotional wellness. And if you have children, it will confer to your children as well. So a lot of times, young people, because we're not teaching emotional intelligence explicitly, they're learning the skills indirectly from what they see in the world. And so if we can model those healthy emotional regulation skills in our homes, it really does make a difference for our children.
0: That's a good point. Do you work on that stuff with your 10-year-old?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of it is just what they see. You know, emotional intelligence is with us every day. If somebody cuts us off in traffic and we yell at them and say, "You stupid fool!" we're teaching that kind of reactivity to our kid, and sometimes we will direct that reactivity to our kid. So just the ability to catch yourself in those moments go a long way. So it's not often something that you have to teach directly to your child. It's just what they see is how they're learning.
0: That's a really good point. I've been trying to catch myself in those moments. I've been thinking about that a lot lately and it's not easy, but I agree that it's important and it's probably like a skill you have to build, right? It is. It's like going to a gym. You build that muscle over time. Okay, thank you so much to Ashley for being on the show. I thought this was a really interesting discussion. I definitely walked away from it thinking about how I could build my own emotional intelligence as an adult and how useful I think this would be for my own kids who are 10, eight, and five, and how I was hoping that they'll have access to climb one day because it sounds really valuable and useful. I did not realize the impact that learning emotional intelligence can have on kids' lives and the impact it could have if they don't learn these skills. So that was really enlightening for me to hear, and I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about it too. So thank you again to Ashley. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you soon.